0: Welcome back to the Ask Different podcast. This is episode number 21, recorded January 15th, 2012. I'm Kyle Cronin. I'm Jason Salas. I'm Nathan
1: Greenstein. I'm TJ Luoma. And we
0: have a... Oh, yes. We have a guest today, TJ Luoma. Very good. Yes. (laughs) Um, Member of Ask Different and also contributor to TUWA. Glad to be here. So... We've actually wanted to have you on the on the podcast for a while, and there's a, a particularly auspicious reason why we decided to uh, to have you on today. And would you like to go through that a little bit, uh, um, TJ?
1: Yes. A few weeks ago, we started talking about uh, a contest for ask different users and also for uh, to our readers, and uh, we've got that coordinated for. Uh, what's tomorrow as we were recording Monday, uh, January 16th and uh, we mm-hmm. will hopefully be uh, having what I'm going to call a, a win-win and maybe win. Win-win meaning that uh, Ask Different hopefully will get some of our readers and hopefully some of our readers will uh, get to know more about Ask Different which I think will be a win-win for both sites and uh, but also a chance to uh, really win something. There are some prizes in the offering and uh, so, I've got uh, the, the details here listed as two of them. Uh, the first being uh, the person who asks the most viewed question. Oh, and I guess we should start off by saying that these are for iOS questions, and they need to be tagged iOS for Apple's mobile operating system, of course. And so, and the two people who ask uh, the most viewed question and the question with the highest scores will receive either a 16-gigabyte iPod Nano, 6th generation, or Apple Accessories of Comparable Value, your choice. And uh, underneath it says uh, the the cool thing for Tua readers is that there will be separate and equal prizes for the unofficial Apple Weblog readers who are participating, and we'll uh, have a post up on Tua tomorrow, uh, Monday, about 10 o'clock also. And uh, but the important thing is to mention T U A W in your Stack Exchange profile.
0: Yes, that's how we'll know who's from TUA and and who's one of ours. <laughs> Although we're we're hoping to bridge them. Pretty nice of them
2: to offer an alternative, so that if you already happen to own an iPod Nano and use it as a most excellent watch, uh, <laughs> and pretty nice of them to offer the user the uh, choice of getting anything else of equal value, which is per Apple site, apparently 150 bucks. So any accessories within that range, uh, yours, yours for the selecting.
1: Yeah. And it's cool too that one of the other rules here, which again, I assume will be on the, the site says that, uh, anyone is eligible regardless of geographic location. Uh, of course we've got readers, uh, all over the world as I'm sure you guys do. And, uh, whenever we run a contest, it's very often the case that we end up limiting it to the U.S. because it's just easier. But it says, uh, if you live in an area of the world where it's too difficult for us to ship you a prize, we'll figure something else out on a case-by-case basis. So that's cool, too, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, Stack Exchange really does uh, make an effort to make sure that uh, they're not discriminating based on on where you are. So if if you like to participate in Stack Exchange and you live... I don't know, in Antarctica or whatever, you can, particip- you can participate in this contest. You you are just as valuable and just as much a member of, of Stack Exchange as-, as someone that lives anywhere else.
3: And when this episode goes up, there should be a blog post on the Ask Different blog, as well as a meta post and some advertising on the site for the contest, not for other things.
0: Yeah. And so, TJ, as we were sort of coordinating this episode... You had mentioned that uh, you, your both your mother and mother-in-law, recently exchanged
1: their PCs for iPads. Correct. My mother, in uh, July of last year, uh, for her birthday, um, she had. Uh, w- we actually uh, a halo affected her. I guess uh, she had started out playing Words with Friends on my original generation iPhone. Uh, which, of course, didn't have a, a phone contract, but she was using it as an basically an iPod Touch. And uh, she was playing Words with Friends. And uh, I've got a niece uh, who plays. who's uh, And, of course, uh, my wife and I both play. And so she was doing that. And as she got more and more comfortable with it, there were other things she wanted to do. And, of course, I had my iPad. And she had a laptop that she had bought, oh, I want to say, about four years ago. And of course, instead of taking my advice on what she should get, she went to Best Buy with the Sunday circular and bought on price and bought a Windows Vista laptop that she's hated since day one. And now the battery doesn't hold a charge. And so she didn't, she never used it anymore. Uh, it became a big hassle for her and she didn't really like it. She She's online at, at the office. So if she wanted to email us or whatever, she could do that there. But um, we finally got her to, um, I'd shown her my iPad. My iPad, and also uh, I had a, I guess what they're calling the Kindle keyboard. One of the things we were thinking of was whether or not she'd like uh, the Kindle. And uh, when I showed her the Kindle, I also showed her the iPad, and she said, Oh, I really like this. It's a little easier to use than than the um, iPhone. Uh, And uh, so she got into that, and that's now her, uh, she still has the laptop, but it, it sits in a bag. Uh, and that's her primary device. I've showed her how to use the camera connection kit to get her pictures off of it. And it's just been a great transition for her. She absolutely loves it. And uh, as a matter of fact, last night she and I were iMessaging at around midnight. She was asking about a couple of things going. And uh, we've used FaceTime together, which has been really neat. Uh, she hadn't ever done anything like that before. And uh, so that's worked out really well. Uh, in September, uh, my mother-in-law uh, moved in with us, my wife and I and our our son at the uh, beginning of a divorce process, unfortunately. But uh, she didn't bring a a computer with her. They had a computer in the house before. And uh, she has epilepsy. And one of the side effects of the epilepsy that she has is difficulty learning new things. And uh, she tends to get very overwhelmed by things. And so using a computer had been very frustrating for her. And the nice thing about the iPad is that, uh, again, as you all know, it's it's one application at a time, mostly. It's, if you're doing email, you're in email. If you're uh, looking at the calendar, you're looking at the calendar. And the other nice thing for both my mom and my mother-in-law is that they both had the experience of, you know, they, somebody downloads something and installs it, and, and it ends up you know, conflicting with some other program, and the computer's a mess. And um, my mother, before that laptop, my mother had an e-machine desktop. She's got a history of bad computer purchases. And um, the, again, the nice thing about iOS is if you install an application and it doesn't work right or anything like that, it, it's not going to screw up anything else. And so that's been good for, for both of them, and, and it gives them more confidence to use it. And they both loved it. Uh, my mother's got an external keyboard, the, the Apple Bluetooth keyboard that she uses. And uh, I offered that for my mother-in-law, but she said, no, she really likes it just the way it is. And uh, she's had a, a Nook ebook reader, and, of course, I, I got the Nook application on there for her, so she can read her, her books there. And uh, it's worked out really, really well. Uh, with some occasional frustrations, <laughs> the the biggest uh, challenge so far has been, uh, well, I guess there have been two. The first is printing. Um, now, when AirPrint was first announced, the idea, at least as I remember it, was that you were going to basically be able to print to basically any printer from your, your iPad. And that sounded pretty amazing to me. Well, what it turned out to be was, well, you can print to any printer that supports AirPrint, which... Uh, there are a handful of them. I think HP has put out uh, most of them. Uh, but I think there are only a handful of them. Uh, if you've got a Mac running on your network, of course, you can use the great uh, Printopia program. But again, they my mother especially, there's no other computer in the house that's running. She's got a, an Airport Extreme and an iPad. And so that's been a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. I, I keep hoping that Apple will uh, update the... Uh, or include in iOS the ability to print to, uh, if you've got a printer hooked up to uh, an Airport Extreme, for example, to be able to print directly to that. But I'm, I'm not sure if that'll happen. Right now, she's just been emailing herself things at, at the office if she needs to print them, which fortunately she said doesn't happen too often. And for my mother-in-law, I've got a Mac on the on the network she can she can print to. And the second thing has actually been uh, Gmail. Both my mother and mother-in-law have Gmail accounts, and uh, that's worked very well. And, of course, iOS integrates really well. But if you want to set up uh, – if you want to do things like set up filters, um, you can't, as far as I can tell, even if you go to uh, Gmail's website in a Mobile Safari, you can't get to the filters. It, it recognizes that you are on an, an iOS device, and it will – basically give you some very limited settings about, I think it's vacation settings and also a, a mobile signature. But other than that, there's not much that you can do. And uh, I suppose I, I could have set them up with iCloud email addresses, but Apple's history, as far as their web stuff, especially their, um, especially their email stuff is not so great. So, so, I think that's about as much as um, that's a sort of general information as far as as moving that. Overall, it's been a wonderful uh, change for them. And I think they're both going to use these more and enjoy them more uh, and worry about them less. You know, my mother-in-law especially is terrified about screwing things up and having her own iPad where, you know, she, as I said to her, you really can't screw this up. And with iOS 5, being able to back up to iCloud automatically and being able to do even system updates without hooking up to a computer. I think it's going to be really great for, for folks to do this um, as as an alternative.
2: It's one of those things that you'd call a real missed opportunity with Gmail is that, or with Google is that, uh, that since their Gmail app is just a wrapper for, for an alternative way to get push notifications is that they could have really stacked these maintenance tasks into the application uh, and leave the Leave the minimal view, the mobile view for Gmail the way it is. That'd be great. But to kind of do this out of band stuff um, in an app would have been perfect. But they decided to just kind of wrap, wrap, wrap some Chrome on it and call it call it a call it a browser that has local device hooks to be able to actually send you notifications.
1: Right, and and I the same thing with their Google Voice application. You know, that's the, there's a whole bunch of things. But if you want to, if you really want to use Google Voice on the iPhone, you'd be much better off getting one of the third-party applications than gmail zone than, than google zone i should say i think you can override
0: the mobile interface and, and go with a regular desktop interface but that's actually it's a little too much for the ipad it's it's very javascript heavy so i think that you can go in there but it's definitely not an easy thing to do and it's definitely not something that you'd want to uh necessarily let your mother or mother in law try to try to mess around with so there there is definitely improvement uh, to be done there.
1: Very much so. And and oh, I've got a browser I can set the um, I use iCab on the iPad. And you can change the user agent and of course get the the regular view. But even for me it's very difficult to manipulate on on the screen. So missed opportunity I think is a good, right. good way to put it. Kinda of, kind of
0: also also like Google Docs on, on the iPad. It's just Uh, You you can get kind of the basic interface, but it's so terrible to use that you never actually want to use that.
1: (laughs) Google wants to be this, you know. Google wants to be your cloud, and the iOS is hugely popular. You would think that they would say, "Hey, this is an application. You know, this is a device we want to support, especially the iPad." Uh, For Google Docs, man, I mean, would anyone, if you've tried to share or or even work in Pages you know, pages on the iPad is great until you want to get something into it or out of it. Uh, and Google's got the opportunity to fix that problem, but they, they've, again, missed the opportunity. They haven't taken advantage of that at all.
0: Yeah. So actually, that that does bring up an interesting question. So you you are a writer for Tuaw, so you do a lot of uh, writing professionally. And you also mentioned that you have a lot of text editing apps on
1: your iPad.
0: Um, would you
1: want to go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pulling up my... My iPad. I think I've got. Uh, let's see. I th- I counted them at some point, and I think the number was thirty-seven. I've got two full. Wow. Sc- I've got two full screens, and then three or four on on the second on, on a third page rather, and that that does include pages, which um, you know, again isn't quite a text editor. And there are a couple of others that that do some more heavy duty things uh, that but a lot of them a lot of what i've been looking for is a a really great text editor on the mac i use uh, bbedit for just about everything although i've again i've got some other text editors but i could i could live in bbedit and be happy i have yet to find a an ios text editor that i love there are a lot of great features on a lot of them uh, and the of course now the problem i have is that um, I remember that, wow, there was this one application that, that did this. And then it's like, okay, well, which one is it? Um, you know, the, if you do a lot of markdown stuff, there are a couple of applications that will give you on the screen a, uh, an extra line above your, your built-in keyboard where it gives you the, uh, some access to the brackets and um, parentheses that you might use a lot. Uh, I know right Room does that. And then you get other. This is actually why I started collecting so many of these. Is one of the things I, I want to do is make a, uh, some kind of a list or chart that explains what these applications mean when they say things like, uh, "Oh yeah, we support Dropbox." Well, supporting Dropbox, uh, which by the way I think is an essential thing for any editor to do on on the iPad, can mean anything from when you're done writing, you can manually export your what you've written to. Dropbox, or it can mean things like uh, again. I think Right Room can open any file in any folder, and a lot of them have uh, a specific folder that they want you to use, and um, they can access things there. But a lot of them, again, you have the ability to save to Dropbox, but you not, may not have the ability to open a file from Dropbox that you know was created not in your iPad. Some of them do, you know, great things with. Uh, previewing previewing uh, Markdown, if you want to see how it will look in uh, HTML uh, and others of them, you know, have other features that they do, uh, you know, if you want to be able to do different folders and searching and all this. But I think the, you know, as many, uh, I can't remember who I was reading now, but uh, someone not too long ago said, you know, that first first they had fart apps, then they had Twitter apps, and now we've got text editors. Uh, but I think the I think the market is still open for a great text editor. That you know, for me, it has to do Dropbox syncing. You know, two way. I need to be able to open a file on um, pretty much any folder on Dropbox. It needs to support Text Expander. Uh, I couldn't live without Text Expander on my Mac. I really couldn't live without it when I'm trying to write on my iPad. And uh, Yeah, supporting Markdown is kind of a weird thing because I mean, the whole point of Markdown is to be uh, a, ba- a plain text format that can be tra- changed into something else. But you get some of these that will do, you know, as you're writing, uh, that will do some previews. Uh, you know, if you do the two asterisks, it will bold bold a word or a sentence. Or uh, if you're making a list uh, with bullets or numbers, we'll sort of format that a little bit. Those are nice things, but really, you know, again, the, the point of Markdown being that you're starting with plain text that you can open anywhere, and that's been the nice thing about, being, uh, about using Markdown and using plain text is I can switch between these applications pretty readily, pretty easily. But, um, again, I, I'm really looking for one that's going to blow me away. So if, uh, at some point I, I should probably just post a list of all the ones that I've got here and the developer of another one that I, you know, if there, if there happen to be any text editors on the App Store I don't have could tell me, uh, oh, you need to check out my, my application because it's perfect.
2: I've done something similar before. There was a, uh, I've gone through a couple of a uh, Xbox Live gamer card and other communication apps, and I just kind of said, you know, for all, all of these are are designed pretty terribly. And it turns out that the developer of, uh, oh goodness, I've forgotten the specific apps uh, apps name. That's pretty embarrassing. Um, I I was just kind of venting my frustration at the ones that I had found so far, and an individual who developed a competing one said, "Yep, they all suck," and that's why I made this one. Pointed me to it and. Uh, I, I used it for a period of time, although it, it's been, I think that particular version has been obsoleted with some of the changes Xbox Live has made. But it was it, it was just nice to have a recommendation direct from the horse's mouth and still work quite successfully. Um, is there a, would you say that there's at least one specific iPad riding app that you most frequently go back to when you're in that situation?
1: Uh, right Rum. Is probably if I if I you know somebody forced me to pick one right now I would probably pick Write Room. Um, I'm looking through here. I think Elements is another one that I've I've used frequently. And I, I don't know if this counts or not, but Simple Note. I, I end up doing a lot of writing in Simple Note because it syncs automatically and without any um, effort on my part. I don't have to do anything to it. Uh, unfortunately, about two versions ago it started crashing when I launched it. and as soon as it, it's amazing you know I've heard about them doing experiments where you know a monkey will go in and they'll push something and they'll get a pellet and as, and uh, as soon as the pellets stop coming they'll stop pushing the button. Well as soon as an app starts crashing on the uh, I just will, will stop using it um, Absolutely. however i I saw uh, they just released an update I think in the last week or so. Uh, that was supposed to address some of that. And it also said that they were laying some groundwork for some uh, increased stability. So I'm hoping that uh, that will be worked out soon. And um, I love Simple Note. It's been great for me. Uh, and again, that, that sinking is just killer. Um, so that's probably the one that was on my dock for a really, really long time as I need to write something down right now and, and be able to find it later.
2: That that whole uh, the whole spiel about the level of Dropbox accessibility is something that's actually kind of interesting because I've looked into that before when I was kind of formulating a general app idea. And it's one of those things that's kind of – it's a good choice to be able to support an app being completely sandboxed to its own directory and not being able to break out of the higher level. But the problem is that it's a developer choice. I and mean, the, the theory, at least in my mind, goes that if you have an app that may be, may be nefarious, like, oh, enter your Dropbox for data backup. Well, why 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 would I want to do that? Right. Uh, in order to kind of prevent it running away and doing something, doing something you don't want it to do, uh, it can be written in such a way that it's locked into this specific sandbox. The problem is that's a developer decision. And so the developer can do, uh, as far as my knowledge of their API is aware, the developer gets to choose that and the user doesn't, which doesn't particularly solve the issue because as soon as, uh, if the developer writes it in such a way that has access to your the entirety of your Dropbox hierarchy, then the the, the security aspect of that, the security benefits of that have not been gained.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, I I've thought about things like I put all my text um, documents in a one subfolder in Dropbox and thought, well, I'll I'll point a couple of different applications at the same folder and then I can use them. And one of them just absolutely refused to use a folder that already existed that had files in it. And another one said, "Would you like to, you know, basically delete all these files and start over?" And I'm like, "No." Uh, no. <laughs> uh.
2: Well, at least it asked you in yeah, that situation. Yeah.
1: So that's um, you're, you're right though. It's it's you know, optional sandboxing it isn't going to protect you from someone who's tr- out to to try to do something nasty.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dropbox definitely should have more granular controls to say this app would like to access your Dropbox. Do you want to let it? into the entire thing or do you want to just let it see a particular folder or set of folders and that way you could try out these apps that well i i guess kind of if you're getting it through the app stores on on either mac or ios there is kind of a basic assumption that apple has checked it out and that it's not totally going to just steal or delete all your information but uh, it, it would be nice to be able to be sort of initially cautious with it and say, well, I have not had enough experience with this app yet. I don't want to let it have free reign over my entire Dropbox folder and to, and to, um, provide limits, uh, that are enforced at Dropbox's end and not just a random decision that the developer of that app itself, uh, made.
1: That's a really good point. But, uh, I, I have to, <laughs> I have to start off by saying, uh, as someone who gets a lot of email from developers, Developers have found a lot of ways to try to get things past Apple's screening process. And, you know, again, 99.9999% of the time, these are, are very innocuous things. Remember a couple of years ago where was a camera plus had the thing where you could use the, the volume buttons for a, a shutter release. Um, I've, another developer, again, I can't remember who, you know, said something along the lines of, well, if you if you want if you want to send us the your device ID uh, tap this icon ten times and it will open an email that will you know and you've got to send the email it's not going to send it on its own but all of which makes me think that you know if you've got developers who are doing this for good reasons, there's certainly the possibility that um, you know you can you could put code in there that says you know the tenth time that this runs or Uh, You know, if this runs on the third Tuesday in January, delete all the users' files. Again, the good thing with Dropbox is you can go back in and get those back, but I don't trust Apple's ability to protect me just because they're dealing with too many applications and that they have to. I mean, it's already a painfully long process to get apps updated. Um, And I, I think they do some protection, but... I don't rely on it to say, "Oh, well, it's in the App Store; it's got to be safe." Um, it's well, certainly not as I, nearly as bad as like Android, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was not so much
0: thinking that Apple would necessarily catch this initially, but if it later came out at at some point that, oh yeah, this app deletes all your all your files or, or or whatever, um, that Apple would very quickly pull that from the app store. And so you know, if you see that if it's if you see that it's been around a, at least a little while and that people have been saying mostly positive things about it and it's in the app store, then it's probably okay to install, but again, I w- I would like the ability to not have to uh do that you know, proactive checking and just to say to Dropbox, yes, you know, give it access, but only access to these Kinds of things, and a lot of services will do this. You know, Facebook, you can say exactly what you want it to, to access. Um, Twitter, I believe, you can opt out of certain things. Or
1: uh, Twitter's on the developer end. Oh too, yeah, yeah, but yeah.
0: At, at least it'll say. At least when you're authorizing it, it'll say exactly what it will access. Yes, yeah, that's really um, helpful.
1: Yeah,
0: and developers have the uh, ability to request less access. So if you see something, some Twitter app that. Has requested they 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 want to read all your tweets and see all your people that you're following and read all your direct messages. You can say, wait, you know, why do I need? Why does this app need all this access to uh, to tweet when I'm you know listening to a song or something?
1: <laughs> right.
2: And there's a lot of details on this whole argument, and one of them is the fact that uh, Apple is to the best of my knowledge the only company that has not used a uh installed application wipe feature uh we know that android has done it a couple times uh there was a uh 1942 that amazon uh, uh yeah that amazon wiped from Kindles because it was an unlicensed version that well, some that somebody put 1984? on there 84 uh yeah thank you um okay. remember, uh, yeah amazon amazon wiped an unauthorized Sale in unauthorized distribution of 1984, which was the ultimate and irony concerning the subject matter and everything else. And then Androids wiped. Uh, what was it? It was like a free wallpaper app that was sending all of your personal information to who knows where.
1: Russia. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and uh, Apple. Apple has wiped. Apple has delisted applications for you know disagreements like the camera plus example you were making uh, and other. Uh, the, the flashlight with tethering and numerous other proxying, what other applications, I mean, but they've never taken them back off. The, they've never taken them off a device you've actually installed onto.
1: Right. And I believe they've got the, the ability to do that, but they've never used it.
2: And they never exercised it. And it's, it, it's kind of interesting because that, that's where the conversation kind of drags out into, well, Apple doesn't review all of your source code. They review a binary and they have, they have testers that sit down and, uh, do some do some pretty elaborate work, and so, some of the the results that I've even seen of test failures. Well, if you rotate it, if you rotate it in this direction and go to this tab, and then rotate it back, all of your content is shifted off. And the screenshot series that they send back to the developer to tell exactly what happened was, it, it's it's one of the best testing QA processes I've ever seen. As frustrating as it may be to some people, um, but it's one of those things that because they're not dealing with source code. Uh, and they can only – I'm not even sure what the process is that they can figure out uh, how you achieve something by using private APIs versus the general things that the SDK actually exposes. But the fact that people – it really is an honor system that the fact that people haven't put something so specifically nefarious, uh, d- d- 5th of November, destroy all the contents of Dropbox or something else. Uh, it, it To the best of my knowledge and to the best of the technical capacities that we hear about, it's really just the honor system that something like that hasn't happened yet. And the worst that we've had is a $1,000 app that does absolutely nothing.
0: Well, Apple is also, I mean, not, not in terms of accessing online services, but Apple on iOS, um, back when they first came out with the App Store, uh, had very strict sandboxing rules on the device itself. And they've sort of been moving these over to the Mac App Store as well. I believe at some point this year, they're actually going to be requiring that all apps in the App Store are going to have to abide by certain sandboxing uh, rules. And I think, TJ, you said this is a little bit of a a time bomb. What did you think about this?
1: Well, the biggest thing, though, I think about it is that we really don't know what it's going to be. It was supposed to be November of 2011 that sandboxing uh, was going to be required. And now, I've just looked it up, it's supposed to be March, which is about a month, month and a half now. And I think the, re- the reason I, I refer to it as a, a potential uh, time bomb is that there are going to be applications that stop working. There are going to be applications that um, have been in the App Store, which have been approved, which are going to be removed. Uh, there are going to be applications which used to have a functionality and now no longer have a functionality. That's going to be... That's going to be the good scenario for some applications. I mean, not everything, obviously, but. And we've been used to applications getting more features as they get developed, and I wonder how users are going to respond to. Uh, oh, here's an update, and I'm going to click update all because really. Um, well, it, uh, it's easier on Mac than it is on iOS because uh, on iOS you've got um, you know that that little number there that just stares out at you but on the mac App store most people are just going to i'm going to assume hit update all and they're going to launch the application the next time and it's going to say wait this why can't i do this thing that i used to do and a couple of things are going to happen uh, some applications are going to have to update uh and some of the updates are going to re- remove functionality some of the applications won't be able to be approved um, again, this is speculation on my ha- on my part, but but having read about the issue, there are some applications which are just not. <laughs> I've I've had developers say to me um, when I've emailed them about an application, say, "Yeah, I'm really kind of surprised that Apple approved this app in the first place, but now that sandboxing is coming around, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to work." Uh there, I, go ahead.
3: There are a lot of apps that I. I use, but I, that I've considered buying on the Mac app store. But then as soon as I learned about the sandboxing, I don't think so because I know that I'm not going to get my money back if I, if I go through the app store. And so these are apps like um, Forklift, which we talked about a few episodes ago, which is a, a finder alternative. That's its whole functionality, being able to access all the folders on your computer. That's the point. Right. And if it can't do that, it is completely useless. So I'm. I'm not sure. I I remember reading, and this might have been. I might be remembering wrong, and it might be before they actually finalized things. But I remember reading that developers were going to be able to request access to areas outside the sandbox. And if that's true, I imagine that they will end up using that for for apps where the app is useless without without full access.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a finite list of features that can be added into an application uh, that go by the name entitlements. That's how they're they're stored and requested, and that's something that has to be. They they don't necessarily map into like a user request kind of thing. It's actually I actually think that's not even a little bit what it does. It's that when you submit to the app store, they're going to have, um, they, they basically have detectors, sensors. They basically have something that watches what your app goes for and if it requests something that falls into a class uh, in entitlement that you didn't ask for then reject it because you, you didn't ask for this and you want it in your application um, it's a finite list of things that I don't even specifically recall it is file access network device access um, and there's a whole handful of other things that I, I, I haven't really ingrained the entire list yet
0: and I think that developers also have to justify the entitlements that they request. Like, you know, you can't have uh an app that's you, you can't have like say a fart app on on the Mac App Store or whatever that says, "Yes, I I want access to the network and the entire file system and the, and 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 Apple will say, "Look, your app in order to function, your app doesn't need access to any of those things, so your your thing is rejected."
3: And I think this has potential to make the review process a lot easier for Apple, because if they see that an app is not, not requesting any of these um, potentially dangerous entitlements, then they could just say, oh, well, we don't have to worry about testing for malicious stuff, so we just have to test for, um, see if it, the compatibility matches what they claim and make sure there's no offensive content or anything. So if we're lucky, maybe that'll speed up the approval process. Maybe
1: <laughs> I hope so. But the other side of this is going to be, you know, we're moving. We've had the iOS app store, which has gotten started up very strict. Well, first of all, there was no app store, but then it started out very strict and has gradually loosened up over time. Not completely open by any stretch of the imagination, but it's gotten a little more relaxed as things have gone on with the Mac app store. It started out pretty much wide open with Again, some limitations. Super duper uh, was never going to be in the in the Mac App Store. But now it's getting, we're, we're going the other direction. Now we're getting more restrictive as to what it can do. And uh, I've heard from a handful of developers already about, uh, of course, in, in iOS we had the problem where, you know, you'd hear about this cool app that Apple rejected. On the Mac App Store, I haven't heard many applications being rejected. But I have uh, heard from a handful of developers who have said that uh, uh, they've submitted updates for uh, their application and, and Apple has just it, – it appears Apple has just sort of put their updates in a, in a drawer and the update isn't getting uh, – it isn't being approved and whatever problem it is that the application is having – uh, that application is now getting more and more bad reviews because people are finding out about these problems. And eventually, I know of a couple apps that the developer has just pulled because, you know, they couldn't get any any updates uh, approved. And it was clear that Apple was um, – what do they call it? The pocket veto. Uh, they were – Apple was pocket <coughs> vetoing these applications. We saw this with uh, – or we we presume this is what happened for a long time to – uh, the Google Voice application on the mm-hmm. iOS side of things where uh, it was uh, supposedly being investigated or being researched. I don't remember what the word was, but it was something like you know nine months or something that it, it took forever for it to, to finally get approved. So yeah, I've, I've had that same experience though where I've been looking at applications that are sold on the Mac App Store and now you're sort of caught in this situation of do I buy it from the Mac App Store, understanding that, Again if it's an application that you know might have uh, might need access that it might have reduced functionality or do I buy it from the developer if they even offer it and realize that at some point that developer may say, you know all my future updates are going to be in the Mac App Store and now you've got to buy it again it's a, it's a real difficult time um, and it's difficult for developers too because they don't know exactly how strict, Strictly, Apple's going to enforce these rules and um, or what's going to come next. You know, the, the entitlements, I know part of it, uh, one of the things I read said, you know, you, you can basically ask for an exception, but some of those exceptions will only be granted for a limited amount of time. And developers more and more are finding that if, if their application is not on the Mac App Store, it's really starting to um, negatively affect their sales. So it, it's... Yes, you can still install applications from anywhere, and and I I don't think that Apple will be removing that, at least not anytime soon. But for developers, it's getting to the point of if you're not in the Mac App Store, you're gonna have you're having a harder and harder time reaching an audience. And is that really is there really a negative slum to that, or is it just the fact that there there's all of
2: these there's all of these blossoming and blooming trends that people are showing because so many more people have access to and you know, an easy index of all of these applications.
1: You're asking if there's a, as there's a downside to it. I, I think the downside is that before people would have looked, people would have hit Google and said, you know, okay, well, this is what I want to do. And they might've found the developer site, whereas now they're uh, hitting the Mac app store. Um, I,
2: the the so. question is actually, it has somebody actually reported that as of, you know, X number of months after, uh, the Mac App Store's release or maybe even something like a competitor's app on the Mac App Store, have their sales actually trended dramatically down?
1: Um, I've seen a couple of of reports of that, and I, I've heard a couple of um, developers say that the reason they moved to the Mac App Store was that customers have made a clear preference that that's what they want. I know that's why um, AgileBits moved 1Password, uh, Fraser Spears, I hope I haven't just mangled his name, who develops um, Flickr export for iPhoto and Aperture, did mention on Twitter uh, a couple weeks, maybe a month or two ago, about that he's really starting to see sales drop off uh, by not being in the Mac App Store. And, of course, I don't think he, as an iPhoto plug-in, I don't think he can be in the Mac App Store.
2: No, uh, you, you, you can't depend on any of your application or anything like that. You have to be completely self-contained.
1: Right. Um, text expander again i you know i mentioned a while ago about being uh, you know utterly dependent on on text expander and of course they moved their application from being a preference pane to being an application i believe they did that uh in at least in part uh, because they knew that the mac app store was coming and preference panes are one of those things that can't be in the mac app store uh, mm-hmm. but what happens to text expander if all of a sudden they can't access text's in other documents, in other applications. I, I'm, ass- I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen. I, I'm assuming they're, you know, well aware of this, but I know again, Agile Bits, you know, redeveloped or changed how one password works in a fairly dramatic fashion. I believe, uh, you know, again, trying to be prepared for the transition of the Mac app store. They're going all in on the Mac app store. They're, they're going to, I don't believe they're selling uh one password at all, except on the one on, the Mac App Store, uh, the 3.8 series you can still uh, download, and if you own a license for it, but 3.9 and following is going to be Mac App Store only. Uh, there's a, I mean, that's a browser plugin essentially. That's um, again, I, I, I know they've got smart people there who have looked at this, and, and you know, I'm hopeful as I think they are that because they've separated out some of the functionality from the application that you download from the app store and the browser extension that you download from the website after you've run the app. Uh, Again, I'm just worried about some of these companies who have gone, uh, you know, let's say example for that text expander, all of a sudden finds out that, you know, they're out in the cold. They've got no way to know that you've purchased text expander from the Mac app store. And now we're going to have the reverse problem of, okay, well, we're still going to sell this on our website, but you're going to have to buy it again. Um, and I don't know how they work around that. And again, I, I'm, I don't want to be alarmist. I just want to say this is within the realm of possibility, if not for these applications and for others. Lingon, I, L-I-N-G-O-N. L-I-N-G-O-N mm-hmm. uh, it's an application I've used a, a lot for working with the, the launch daemon process in uh, OS X version two of that was great. You could, I could set things up that when any user logs in this, these certain programs run, I could edit ones that, um, well, Lingen three now, uh, is restricted to just things that run in my, uh, home, uh, application. Now that's an edge case. I mean, that, that's not an application that a whole bunch of people are going to want to use, but you know, that's an app that that's lost a whole bunch of functionality already. And, and I think we're going to see more of those. Kind of surprising to me that Rogue
2: Rogamiba decided to jump onto the Mac App Store with a uh, piezo. I I assume it to be <laughs>
1: pronounced. Yeah, we, because... we need a whole pronunciation guide for the Mac world, Mac yeah. universe now. Yeah,
2: and the fact that, that one of their one of their notable fallbacks is that with those apps that have already made the jump to the sandbox, they are incapable of uh, of capturing, of hijacking. And come March, that that means that they're not going to be able to access. Pretty much anything. I I don't remember if their details said that when in the sandbox they can get back out. But basically, Piezo is going to be limited to what uh, browser sounds via Safari and other browsers. It's going to be limited to iTunes. Um, I assume basically Soundflower or anything like that can't be directly managed by Piezo itself. It, it, It was just a really strange time for them to actually decide to go ahead and try to get into this game. Considering the very dramatic limitations that exist.
1: And the fact that they've got a superb product in Audio Hijack Pro, but I guess that's complicated enough that they they figured they needed something simpler.
0: This sort of reminds me, I wasn't quite around for it, but I've heard stories about the transition from macOS 9 to the macOS 10 era. And I've actually been playing around with macOS 9 a little bit recently because I I recently got it installed on uh, a Power Mac that I have. And one of the things that is different about between the two is that Mac OS 9 did not have protected memory. And so this enabled a whole cottage industry of applications that would literally hijack other applications, read and write with from within the other applications memory um, to add functionality or to, to change stuff. And in the transition to a, a protected uh, a memory system in Mac OS X, a lot of people were sort of lamenting the fact that these applications were no longer possible. Uh, but then you sort of saw that some applications did die out, but others um instead of being a more parasitic um uh having a more parasitic uh, uh relationship between the app that it, the app and the app that it was sort of hijacking uh there was a more cooperative relationship where the the, the maker of the other app said well look i'm going to i'll actually develop a plugin architecture and we will provide a, a way for uh to to get uh, other other apps to uh to run and, and access some of our features and, and and change some of our stuff so that sort of spawned the the whole you know everything's a plug-in era uh, right around the time I think this was a little before Firefox, but that was kind of a, a product of that of that era and I think we'll probably see something similar now where maybe text expander may not be able to access every single place where you're entering text on the operating system but this will probably just mean that if if you write a text editor, one of the features that it quote, has to have is some sort of uh, text expander, a plugin or uh, a little mini version of text expander built into uh, the application itself. So I think that, yes, we may see some particular kinds of apps go away. And yes, there will be a certain pain period between what we have now and where we're going. But ultimately, I don't think that it's going to be I don't think we're going to look back and say, "Wow, man, we sh- we really had a great back in 2011." You know, I-, I wish we could go back to, to to those days where we didn't have sandboxing.
1: No, I well, think you're right. I, th- I think the the transitions transitions are always difficult. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking back to uh, even a, a more recent transition from uh, uh, PowerPC to, to Intel and, and a couple of people who were just they had built up. Uh, applications and everything like that 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 really took advantage of the PowerPC architecture and um, you know, they were uh, uh, to put it gently, they were screwed by the fact that, you know, they were now uh, Apple was moving to the Intel uh, platform. Nobody looks back on that and goes man, I wish we could get PowerPC apps uh, or PowerPC (laughs) processors back. Um, So yeah, no, I think think in the long run this is going to be great uh, for the Mac community. It's just the transition is going to be bumpy. And I think it worries developers and users should at least be aware of it.
3: For me, the the text expander example. There are apps like Google Chrome that aren't text editors, but that I end up using text expander very heavily in. So, besides uh, code editors, I think Chrome is where I use text expander most between filling out web forms and moderating as different. And Google Chrome is not the kind of thing that is going to especially since they're pretty platform agnostic, they're not really gonna put in a a special thing for Mac OS ten where it lets you integrate text expander. And well they have they, a plugin architecture for yeah, but it, it's not that um, it's not that deep. I think only Firefox has a an add-on architecture that's deep enough to actually intercept what you're typing.
1: And Firefox think, okay. and Chrome aren't in the Mac App Store either. So. Yeah,
3: for for good reason. Right. <laughs> and I, I, you know, definitely people will get used to it. But I think for in some cases, you know, definitely rarely, like Text Expander, even as is, they're they're doing some risky stuff. What with um, enable access for assistive devices, taking advantage of the uh, OS X's accessibility features to to be able to put text anywhere. That's you know that would not be. That would not be okay on the Mac App Store, I'm sure, especially once sandboxing becomes uh, the rule. And I really think it will be a loss because not all apps are going to implement text expander's stuff, and maybe they won't all implement it perfectly or or anything like that. And I really feel like part of text expander's value is that it works anywhere. And I do feel like there are several apps that I can think of that I use where no matter no matter how much we get used to it it's still going to be a net loss in in how useful the app is
0: well just sort of look at the
3: situation on iOS i didn't buy text expander on iOS because it doesn't sound very useful to me i don't having to i, I don't um i don't type enough on the iphone in text editors to for that to be useful and i i don't you know if i have to go to a separate app and copy things it's not helpful it it's just not useful for me so that's why i haven't gotten it on ios
0: okay well i just sort of i i think that that's kind of the uh, the, the the direction that text extender expander is probably going to be going on the mac if i mean we're just sort of assuming that text expander is going to uh, be crushed by these restrictions with sandboxing and stuff it's perfectly possible that there may be some sort of um assisted assistive devices um uh, entitlement that's yes yes uh, that the apps in the app store are able to use and they'll be fine so who knows and oh,
2: just yeah. kind, just kind of as a reminder this is i i have a list i'm not sure if it's changed over time or anything like this this was from a couple of months ago um but these the and these get even more granular uh so in the in the uh in the interest of keeping a bunch of uh redundant words down and whatnot uh, read-only or read-and-write access to the Movies folder and iTunes Movies. Same for the Music folder, same for the Pictures folder. The ability to capture movies and still images using the built-in camera if, if available. Recording of audio using the built-in microphone if if available. And the fact that these are saying built-in only is very interesting to me because like all of us on the show, we are not using the mics built into our devices. General general interaction with USB devices, read only or read write access to the downloads folder, read only or read write access to any file that has been selected by an open or save dialog, the ability of a child process to speak with a parent still within the sandbox, uh, outgoing network network socket communication, incoming network socket listening, uh, so binding to a port like a web server or anything else. Growl Growl has its uh its listening capabilities so that you can get information from other from other locations uh read and write access to the user's address book read and write access to the user's calendar uh the ability to use core location for locating the device and lastly printing and that that's that's a that's a pretty finite I'd list take. for so for such a specific amount of applications but also
3: um, i would say it's, it sounds kind of limited there is no full file system access, it's only open and save dialogues. And Forklift wouldn't be useful if it was
2: only open and save dialogues. And I didn't see anything with text entry or, or accessibility things. Yeah. And you, you could kind of make the case for interaction with USB devices, i.e. external keyboards, but not not likely. I'm pretty sure that intercepting every single typing event from the hardware is a bit excessive and taxing. And, and it I wouldn't, can wouldn't work but, with keyboards that have uh, custom drivers. Um, like you you don't, you don't, you don't speak to the computer. It's just the fact. The point is just that the operating system sends the events into your sends it to your application as they're done. You 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 are more than likely right in some situations. We we don't know yet. I don't know personally. Hmm.
1: Andy Anaco has got a great uh, article on uh, MacWorld app sandboxing risks eroding the Mac's identity. Uh, which he talks about some of these things specifically with uh, scripting, um, Apple scripting, uh, which is always something I've wanted to do more of. But uh, that that's a, a good... If if you're listening to this part of the show and, and you're kind of struggling to understand it, that might be a good spot to to start with because he does a good job of, of explaining some of these issues too.
0: Yeah, Apple scripting has been part of Mac's identity and heritage for a long time. Uh, I was surprised to see it was on... It was uh, it was on macOS nine, but um, apparently it's been there for even longer than that.
2: It outlived HyperCard. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: well, it's based on HyperCard.
2: It's did it did it only come afterwards?
3: Well, I don't know afterwards, but it's um the language is based on HyperCard, the syntax at least. Hmm.
0: I think Apple discontinued HyperCard when they discontinued OS nine, but uh, Apple scripting was is there on OS nine, so. At least they were concurrent for a while. They're continuing to to release updates to AppleScript with the operating system.
3: With uh, Snow Leopard, there was a lot of updates to, uh, to what you could do, including uh, AppleScript Objective-C Bridge so that you can kind of make full Cocoa apps with AppleScript. I don't know why you would want to do that because it's really painful, <laughs> but you could. And then in uh, Lion, there's even more stuff, including... Um, including the ability to call all of the built-in methods that would be available to a an, an Objective C app in a AppleScript app. So I I was actually impressed that they continue to support this this fairly old system that's not particularly popular as far as I've seen.
1: I like it.
2: And it's there there's a lot of uh starting starting with something that is generally considered more friendly to programmers as AppleScript, and kind of branching out it was a pretty big deal like a uh, 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 os 10 has had a Perl scripting bridge for I, I don't even want to guess how long python i assume to be more recent and it was a pretty big deal in the ruby and ruby on rails communities when snow leopard shipped with not only Ruby and uh, possibly also a Rails instance built in, but the fact that uh, Mac Ruby has been picking up so much steam, and the fact that all of these uh, all of these programming languages continue to exist and have been developed by Apple in such a way that they actually have those same features. There is the ability to communicate with or generate full GUI apps out of uh, after hooks provided uh, provided by the framework, and those and something based on those languages. Um. well, iOS started allowing third-party uh, ge- uh, application generators into the store. I'm not I'm not really sure if something developed in a scripting language as opposed to Objective-C or whatnot would be allowed in the Mac App Store. I've really never heard that conversation before.
3: I saw a conversation about that on the Apps Objective-C mailing list a while ago when the Mac App Store was announced, and the consensus then was that well, nobody's actually tried it yet, but there's no reason it shouldn't work, that it shouldn't be approved.
0: Yeah. And so just as a quick plug for Nathan, he has a great series of articles learning Apple script that you can find on the Ask Different blog. That's apple.blogoverflow.com. Hopefully he'll be writing more in the future because uh, they're really informative and, and, and just shows how easy it is to get into it. I wanted to turn a little bit to our question of the week this week. Uh, for our question of the week, it is, what are some best practices for a family sharing a single Apple ID? This was asked by user 16653, yes, that's their actual name, they haven't changed it yet. They actually came over from uh, to, from Tuwa, the, the account was created on the same day, that the a whole bunch of uh, we, we got a whole bunch of great new users from from two from the post that uh, the TJ wrote and it goes my family shares an Apple ID and I can't choose whose contacts I want to sync uh, with when I set up iCloud for example I own a Mac and an iPhone and I want my content to only be synced between my Mac and my iPhone instead everything including my contacts gets jumbled and duplicated together with my parents PC and my family's iPhones Because of this, I have three different instances of my sister in my contact book, my mom's version, my version, and my other sister's version. Does anyone have any advice on how we should go about organizing our content
1: and Apple ID? Any thoughts? Well, the good news is you should be able to change some of that. There is, um, If you go in underneath the – in your settings, I'm actually looking at my iPhone now as I'm doing this – If you look under in the settings application, yes, there's a setting for iCloud. um, And there you can decide whether or not you want your contacts to sync. Uh, And then you can go under mail contacts calendar. And there you can add an iCloud account that will sync contacts and calendars as well. So I think you should be able to uh, go in and... I think you should be able to go and, and decide which contacts get synced and which don't. The, the really nice thing Apple has done, which kind of surprised me in uh, iOS 5 with, with iCloud, I really expected there to be a, a single logon where you'd put in, you know, what is your Apple ID, and Apple would automatically use that for iCloud, for mail. FaceTime, Messages, and the App Store. Uh, whatever else uses Find My Friends and Find My iPhone, I guess, also use this. They've really provided a lot of different places for you to define an Apple ID. Uh, you can use a separate one for the store. You can use a separate one for Messages to send you. The app is called Messages, but if you want to send an iMessage to someone, we faced this in our family. My wife and I uh, share an an Apple ID uh, for uh, purchases from the App Store. And that worked perfectly fine until we got iOS 5 with uh, messages and and wanted to send iMessages to each other. And, of course, then we needed separate Apple IDs for that. Uh, I also – well (laughs) – with her knowledge, I always preface this because people sometimes think it's a little creepy, um, but I've uh, my wife very often, uh, she drives uh, two hours to school, and I would very often use Find My iPhone to see where my wife was. Um, and, of course, we use the same Apple ID. Now we can do that with Find My Friends, and um, as I said, she always knew that I was doing that, so it wasn't a problem. It just saved her from me calling her and saying, so where are you when she was driving through uh, commuting traffic? But now that you can go in. Uh, for example, my uh, mother-in-law has a separate um, list of contacts uh, where she was uh, not particularly technologically inclined. I didn't particularly want to give her access to my um, list of contacts. Um, on the other hand, my wife and I do want to have the same contacts because otherwise, you know, we're going to have to we're just going to spend a lot of time duplicating effort. Uh, sharing that information, and you know i'm going to have to ask her well hey do you have a cell phone number for so and so or did you know that so and so's cell phone number changed or so that that there is the ability to um, to go in and to put your Apple ID in a bunch of different places and I'm really surprised that apple's done this that they also do this on the Mac but um, uh, and, and it's great it's well it's great especially for me because I accidentally have three Um, Apple IDs Uh, even before any of this happened and I've got an Apple ID which is uh, my name and then I have my uh, my name at Gmail and then I have my name at me.com and at some point Apple started automatically um, putting at me.com I think this was on uh, if you logged into the me.com site and somehow or another, I created this separate account and uh, managed to purchase a couple of uh, iOS applications under a different account. And so now I've got applications, a couple of applications I own under one name, and the uh, most of them are under a different one. Uh, and there is absolutely positively, I have asked many times, no way that they will uh, merge Apple IDs. Uh, so... I think they recognize the fact that people are going to want to use this, and so far, they've been pretty flexible about it, and I hope that continues.
2: Yeah, I'm in a pretty similar situation that I paid for MobileMe in order to have find my iPhone. Um, and apparently, in doing so, I did it under a distinct Apple ID using atme.com, where everything else I've done is at mac.com. All my iTunes purchases, all my everything else is uh, at mac.com. And so I get to be, as a, as a result of those same options, I have at Mac.com for quite literally everything, and only for iCloud backups, and um, Mail too is enabled, but I don't get anything going to that address. Uh, but in order to take advantage of the storage increases for backups and whatnot, uh, the, the uh, iCloud also has at me.com configured, so the backups go there, and I, uh, I enjoy my 25 gigs of space that I have plenty of time remaining on.
0: Yeah, I um, my both my parents got iPhones last year. My mother kind of earlier on in the year, and then my father later on. And when iOS five rolled around, I and iCloud, I set it up so that they shared an Apple ID for purchases and for backups, and so that they had a shared address book. I set it up so that they had separate iCloud calendars. And both uh, use uh, uh, other email services. My father uses Gmail. My mother uses AOL. So that's all That's all in there. And I, I really do like the fact that you can have multiple accounts, even multiple iCloud accounts on a single device. Uh, you have to set it up in the mail uh, contacts calendars thing instead of the iCloud thing if you want multiple accounts. Uh, but it, it just makes it really easy to say, all right, on this account, I want this, this, and this. And on this account, I want this and this. And and yeah, it's it's just fantastic. So there is a, an, an enormous amount of flexibility in which account you want to use for what on iOS. In fact, I think it's even more so than on the Mac because I think you could only have one iCloud account set up on a Mac, which is kind of annoying. And in also life.
3: on the Mac, you can't have contact sync with iCloud and Google and calendar sync too which is annoying to me because I use on the iPhone I use contact to calendar sync both iCloud for some things and Google for other things and I just use the unified inbox and the unified uh, contacts list and you can't do that on, on Lion.
0: I I wouldn't really recommend having both Gmail and iCloud contacts on your device um, this is this is actually led to, to situations where i'll i'll accidentally put a contact in, in one thing and not another and and wh- why why isn't it showing up on my line address book or, or or stuff like that so i just uh exported all my contacts from gmail and then put them all into icloud and then just shut off shut off the uh, the gmail contact sync uh, completely from all my devices
3: the reason i keep it like this basically i i copied everything from Gmail into iCloud, so I have kind of a, a working baseline. And then when I do create a new account just through Gmail, like somebody somebody sends me a bunch of emails and the contact gets added, that's on that's on my phone. I don't have to worry about copying that to iCloud. That's why I keep both.
1: Okay, I'm going to plug an app right. here. Uh, SpanningSync.com. Uh, they will uh, they they will sync your contacts. And your calendars to Gmail uh, from your address book that can sync, be syncing to iCloud. So uh, check that out. It's uh, 25 bucks a year or 65 for a one-time purchase, which is kind of steep, I understand. But they do great support. They've got very responsive tech support people. And I, I've been using that for a long time because I use Gmail um, for my email and I use Google Voice and uh, Google Voice especially. I want to have my uh, contacts up to date because I uh, have different groups and things set up for whose phone call reaches me where. So, just a little plug there for uh, SpanningSync.com.
0: Sounds useful. And so, our app
1: of the week this week
0: is Startupizer, and I don't know much about this app, but uh, uh, TJ, you said you do you use this app?
1: Yes, uh, matter of fact, I've been been playing with it a bit this week. It's from it, it's available on the App Store. There's uh, if you start up I Z E R. Um, there's a six dollar version and a free light version. Uh, if you want to uh, check out the application, uh, you can go to Gentle Bytes. It's B Y T E S dot com and uh, see some of what they have there. Um, this, this application does sort of what I've tried to do and what I've seen other people try to do. Uh, I remember seeing, a, a Mac OS, uh, 10 hints.com post about, uh, I think someone who'd either done an Apple script or, uh, another way to do this. That was me. It was, That's awesome. <laughs> yes. um, it's, uh, uh it, it's just one of those things that, that we've tried to do as a matter of fact, even in my br- brief stint in windows, um, I had uh, a program, uh, two programs actually Startup Monitor, which would tell you whenever somebody tried to stick something in your startups, and Startup Delayer. And what Startup Delayer did is, is much what Startup Iser is doing here. It, it lets you separate out applications into, you know, usually if, if you have applications which uh, want to start when you log in, you, you log in and uh, you know, a bunch of things start bouncing around in your dock. Uh, if you don't have an ssd device um, like my lovely macbook air uh, you probably will will watch your computer just sort of spin for a couple of minutes when you first log in uh, as all these things you know start up and and it can be kind of a slow and frustrating process and so people have tried uh, various different ways to uh, work around this and usually by saying okay well Let's have this application launch, and then you know I want uh, you know a 10-second delay, and then I want next application, so on, so on. This application makes it much, much easier to do this. Uh, you can drag and drop things onto there. You can um, arrange them in the order you want. You can insert a delay uh, in between applications. You can actually control whether or not some applications launch at certain times of day. Um, if you... Uh, log in, and it's between the hours of nine and five. And you want your, you know, you want Outlook, um, you want Outlook. You want, <laughs> I suppose there are people using Outlook, but if you want, you know, whatever application you use for Word to to launch, uh, you can do that. But if you don't want those uh, launching when you were uh, at home or after work hours. Do after work hours still exist? Or is that just a myth at this point? <laughs> uh, you can have other uh, applications which launch or don't launch depending on whether or not you are plugged in. Th- that's really only for um, notebook devices. If your iMac isn't plugged in, that probably won't do very much. <laughs> um, and they, uh, it, it, one of the nice things about it is that when I log in, I see the uh, Startupizer application starts and it gives you about 10 seconds i think before it actually runs so if i'm logging in just to do something and i want to you know i'm going to log back out a second i can just quit startupizer and nothing runs and i think you can also do that if you hold down the shift key as you're logging in but i never remember to do that so um so to, it's i think a really useful application for uh, people who want to do that if you leave startup eyes running while you are logged in, it will also monitor your startup items, and uh, it will uh, bounce and and tell you when something else has been activated in there. One of the things I use this for, uh, just to give a, a quick example, uh, I use a, a program called Magical, or uh, I said Magical, but it's Mag and then it's Ical, M A G I C A L. You'll find on on Google. And it's a menu bar program that shows the date and the time and it's a lot easier more easy a lot easier to configure than the built-in options but one of the things it does is it it ends up shuffling around your your menu bar and makes everything jump all over the place well I want that to launch first because I you know the fewer things it has to jumble around and then the second thing I want to launch is a launch bar because I, I pretty much can't use a computer that doesn't have launch bar on it and the last thing I want it to launch is uh, Mailplane, which I use for my email because um, that's probably the first thing I'm going to need to check, and it's going to take a few, you know, minutes to to get up and running. So I'm going to leave that to the end, and, and I know when I see the Mailplane window appear, my login process is done. Otherwise, it—I mean—things just sort of launch. Uh, you know they all sort of fight for resources and, and whichever one wins is the order they start in uh, as I mentioned there's a light version which is free uh, so you should check that out and see if it does what you want but you know again uh, the, the, the pro version I guess is uh, or the, the non-light version is uh, only six bucks so the premium version the premium version yeah I was listening to Marco uh, Armand talk about uh, uh, Instapaper as a premium product on uh, the 5x5 Build and Analyze podcast and I was amazed that we now live in a day and age where I think his application is $5. Um, so I guess at $6, we're now at at, at extra premium. Um, but it, it really is a useful app. I, I did notice that um, it's supposed to be able to control whether or not an application is hidden when you log in. And I did notice that that, that does not always seem to, to hide the app. Uh, I think there are some ways that you can tell an application when it launches, hey, you should hide and I think some applications just ignore that. So, but that's a, a minor thing, really. Um, but so, give the give the light version a, a try. I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out, especially especially if you don't have an SSD uh, based Mac uh, and, and you're used to um, you know waiting a long time for for your things to to happen when you log in. So, and it's also get some other options I didn't mention about as far as um, you know, you can hold down control or alt and have different things launched like that. So it's a, it's a pretty handy uh, application there. So gentlebytes.com startupizer.
3: I've got a quick question about sure. do you know how well it works with resume and lion if you've got a bunch of apps open and you've got uh, you you check the <laughs> remember open apps box. Right. Right. How does I I, th- I think those have to take precedence. Right. Yes. So how does it work?
1: Um, <laughs> well see now, now you're, you're getting into my geekishness. Um, I have disabled Resume on my Mac, and I've actually written a, a script that when I log out, it, it throws away all the Resume information of the application. So, so I can't, <laughs> I can't uh, really uh, answer that for you. I, okay. I, be- I believe the answer, however, though, is uh, that when you, when you log in, uh, that your login items are processed, and so, if Startup Eiser is one of your startup items in your, in you know the regular system preferences, and one of the nice things it'll do is when you first launch it, it will say, "Hey, all these things are in your um, regular startup. Do you want to move those over? You want to import them, and it'll let you do that on a. You can import them all or just a few. So that, but it will run um, when you log in and other applications that have already been that were running that are being resumed. Uh, I believe we'll will resume as well I, I don't think it interferes with that at all it's a it's a new application so I believe that it is um, matter of fact i'm going to check real quick here. it says it requires os ten six or later but I believe that it um, yeah it was last updated it looks like in September so. Uh, yeah, that was well after Lion has, has come out. So I, I don't think that there's an issue that it, that it will uh, conflict. But uh... Oh, and they're also on Twitter as at Gentlebytes. Uh, so you could probably ask them that if, if uh, you wanted to make sure of that before you uh, go ahead and purchase it. I don't see a demo version. I was hoping they had the, a demo version on, the, on their website that you could use the, the full version. But um, I, I don't see that.
0: I really wish the App Store would let oh, you. Got the light version, right?
1: right? Right, the light version, but of course, the light version doesn't have all of the features. But the, yeah, I would definitely try the light, the light version of that. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a primary frustration of mine uh, from the iOS Store, uh, and now the Mac App Store is that uh, demo versions uh, seem to be going away. I've got very mixed feelings about the Windows 8 App Store, but. I
3: really like the idea that every app has a trial. I think that I really wish that the Mac app store and iOS app store did that. Of course, one forty nine is the base price on the windows app store, which makes no sense at all.
1: 149. One
2: forty nine cents. Wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they I, are, I
2: they, they are premium plus 50 uh,
1: premium. plus Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I've seen those with myself when uh, when iTunes songs were ninety nine cents. I, I I picked them up pretty readily, and I still find my I, I don't think of myself as cheap. Uh, I've got thirty seven text editors on my iPad, but I still find myself <laughs> resenting a little bit when I see you know a song that's nowhere near new that uh, is, is still wanting a dollar twenty nine on the on the iTunes store. But yeah, that the, this thing about no demos is uh, again Marco. <clears throat> excuse me. I believe Marco talked about this again on another episode of Build and Analyze that um, you know, it, it's better for the developers that they don't have demos because people can go in and they buy your app and it, it forces them to try to figure it out whereas if you have a demo and you open up the application and it's kind of complicated, you might say, oh, no, you know, I'm not going to bother. So you, you're a little bit more invested in uh, the process. Now, of course, Apple's making money off of you know, Apple's making, what, 30% off uh, the sale of all of these applications. So they're not too interested in, in demos because they want you to go ahead and make the impulse buy. I, I'd be interested to know what your uh, threshold is for, I'll try this app and, and see if it works. And if it doesn't, oh, no big deal. On iOS, for me, that's, that's I think, about $10. bucks. i will buy an app uh, for that. Uh, and I think that's probably close to what it is on the Mac App Store too. I was looking at, at something, uh, probably editors on the on the Mac App Store, and I saw a bunch of applications in the twenty to thirty dollar range. Again, maybe it was something else, might have been photos, but and twenty bucks is way is over my threshold to say yeah, I'll try this, and if I like it, you know that's fine. But if I don't end up using it, I won't mind the fact that I spent twenty bucks on it. And so I'm wondering, you know, is that similar for you all or do you have different thresholds, higher or lower?
2: Probably closer to three bucks for both.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that I,
3: if I see an app on the iOS store for a dollar, then I, I might get it without researching it at all. But anything really above a dollar, I'm going to do, I'm going to read the reviews, I'm going to look at their website and actually figure out if I want it. And actually, I do that more for even cheaper apps on the Mac App Store anyway, just because I'm, it's so easy to research things. But I, I generally don't spend more than a few dollars on something that I'm not sure I'm going to like, or sure that I at least have a good understanding of.
0: Yeah, for me, it's, it's about $3 on iOS, and uh, for the Mac App Store... Usually, even if it's even if it's an app that I really want, um, usually I think about ten dollars is the point where I say, "Whoa, do I really want this?" So, for example, Daisy Disk came out at twenty dollars on the Mac App Store. I'm like, you know, I really like Daisy Disk, but I can't. I I really don't want to spend twenty dollars on it. And then it went down to ten dollars. I'm like, okay, you know, I really like this app. I want to support the developer, and I want to actually own uh, a good copy of it. So I bought that. Um, but then again, I mean, I bought BBEdit on the Mac App Store for forty dollars, so it it depends, But, I but guess, you knew you know, BBEdit on, already. Uh, yeah, I had I had, I had downloaded actually the demo from from Barebone Software. Uh, I was really impressed with it, and uh, when when it finally came out on the Mac App Store, and they lowered the price from I think it was like a, I don't know a hundred dollars for BBEdit at nine to forty dollars for BBEdit at ten. I guess there's maybe some sort of psychological thing there where you know that this thing used to be a lot more expensive, so you think that it's, oh, it's a really good deal, where, I mean, there is also the the other fact that, yes, it's still $40, but I guess uh, for me, I I use it probably every day um most you know most days uh, for various things so I, I definitely don't regret that purchase but there's not a whole there's very very few apps that i would spend forty dollars for and i can't even i i can't think of spending more than forty dollars on, on something for in, in the mac app store it's just a little too much for me
2: everybody has their outlet for places where they can go to get a good handful of content and those prices have come down quite a bit uh uh-huh. I remember buying video games back in the day that were well for consoles. They still are fifty bucks, sixty bucks generally on release. But I remember going into uh, Target and picking up Quake for thirty bucks. And um, on Steam, games w- with the exception of the most newest releases, games drop to rock bottom in a in a heartbeat. Plus, all of these uh, fancy sales that they do, you know, only serve to benefit the user, the buyers.
1: Well, none of you are probably old enough to remember uh, VCRs, but uh, I can remember (laughs) when uh, the Hunt for Red October came out on uh, for for on VHS. It was ninety nine dollars. What? uh, I'm I'm absolutely and this is why rental stores came out because you could go and you could rent a movie for you know what three five bucks and but it took them. You know, they had to rent that 10 times or, you know, on Friday, October, they had to rent it a whole lot more than that before they made back their money. Now that movies are, you know, I've done this a couple of times where somebody will say, you know, such and so is a good movie. Well, you know, I can rent it for five bucks or or I could buy the DVD on Amazon for, you know, 12. And, you know, if I watch it twice, I've made it. But, yeah, we – you know, pricing is, is a very, very tricky thing. I think it's always been tricky for software because it's uh, a bit intangible. I, I don't know many people who've gone to uh, purchased boxed software, so it's always been something you just sort of download and. But, but I, I always, I, I'm someone, of course, who's um, always downloaded and installed a lot of software and tried out a lot of software, and I, I, I find myself more and more. You know, I'll look at the Mac app Store and I'll say, "Okay, well, you know I want to try this or I don't and At first, I was going to a lot of developer websites to see if they had a demo version, and it became so rare that I stopped doing it and actually, just this past week, I found out that uh, an application I'd bought on the uh, Mac App Store not only had a um not only had a a demo version, uh, but had educational pricing, which I would have uh, qualified for. And uh, I could have gotten it cheaper uh, if I'd gone to their website. And, of course, they would have gotten you know money directly from me instead of 30% of it going to Apple. And uh, it also turns out that it didn't work as well as the applica- The first application I bought. I was looking to, to find duplicate files on my hard drive and uh, bought two applications and ended up using one of them. And the one that I didn't use was the one that had the demo. So, um, but it, it, you know, it's one of those things, if I had been able to download this and try it for five minutes, I would have known, you know, that this doesn't work as well as the other one. And, uh, I think that was actually 15 bucks, but I was frustrated about the fact that I, I knew I had a whole bunch of duplicate files on, uh, on a drobo that was telling me that it was running low on space and I knew I had to do something. So I, I impulse purchased a couple of different applications now, I could go and I could ask for my money back, but uh, I'm not going to do that.
2: You forgot the, the, third option, the third option in your list of movies for the, the routes that you can go to pick up a movie?
1: Oh, yes. Netflix. Uh, <laughs> uh, do, do you remember the part where I said I was on satellite internet at home? Um, uh, I, uh, I am right. on satellite internet at home, which uh, just recently, it was very, very exciting. My daily quota went from 200 megabytes a day Two hundred megabytes a day. To Let's five, let that one sink in a little <laughs> bit more. To five hundred megabytes a day. Wow. Wow. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's the the latency. Is, it, you know, friends don't let friends use satellite internet. Um, unfortunately, when we moved to our house eight years ago, the cable line ended a mile from our house, and, and in eight years, it has not progressed an inch. Our neighbors. Uh, I'm in Ohio, and we have neighbors who are surrounded by Amish, uh, who have DSL, and uh, the Amish don't have DSL. The, my friends do, and uh, we, oh, okay. we, we we are in a neighbor uh, a neighborhood of of uh, doctors and folks, uh, other other professional folks. Um, we're about three miles from the hospital, which was one of the big employers in our area, and, and we can't get DSL or cable, so yeah it's it's pretty painful as a matter of fact when when Netflix doubled their price, uh, I was one of the handful of people who dropped the streaming option, which I used to use sometimes at the office and and I just get discs in the mail now from Netflix so i I am <laughs> I am the one percent I guess when it comes to uh, Netflix and uh, I, I'm probably the customer they want to get rid of.
2: Yeah, I, I I didn't mean Netflix. I meant uh, Quickster.
1: Yeah, that.
0: Uh, ooh. Yeah. No, no,
1: that 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 name that name had the shelf life of old cheese. I mean, that, that name.
0: Have you looked into maybe getting like a radio link to your neighbors that have DSL? Uh,
1: uh well, no, th- those are actually friends of ours, but they they live you know about fifteen minutes away. So, but I actually know somebody who works oh. at AT and T, and and he told me last year that. Uh, they were supposed to be upgrading our box, so uh, our the little box that our phone service comes through, and so about once a week I go to AT&T uh, DSL page and and put in my address uh, again using text expander to fill in my address, <laughs> and uh, and it says no, you're not available, but you could possibly get satellite internet and. Uh, as a matter of fact, I get so frustrated with this. I've got a friend who, who's an IT worker and, and does installs, and even in remote locations. And he, he said, well, I'll, g- I'll give you my guy's number. And he gave me his guy's number, and I emailed him, and I told him where I was. And I said, you know, what, what can you possibly do for me because I'm, I'm desperate for decent internet? And he, uh, he looked up my address, and he said, the only thing we could do for you is he said we could run a T1 line for $700 a month and I said, "Well, yeah." I said, "Maybe I could afford that, but you know, then you got to consider the price of a divorce." So that was, <laughs> <laughs> and then I probably wouldn't be living in that house anymore. And you know, so um, I, I'm well, just, I'm just waiting.
2: One way or another, the problem would be solved, but neither <laughs> of them particularly preferable.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You see the
3: ads for satellite internet on TV, and they, they, they show how fast it is by comparing, downloading a big picture, and they compare satellite internet to dial-up. To dial-up, yep. <laughs> and yes, satellite internet <laughs> is a little bit faster.
1: Yes, yep. And, and again, it's one of these things where if, if you're going to Amazon.com where you've got you know, 52 you know, pictures on every page, and the satellite connection has to go all the way up been all the way back for every one of those pictures and uh that was actually i I was hoping that the kindle fire with its i can't remember what their jargony name is for their browser silk Uh, Silk, thank you um i i wondered if that was going to make a difference um and and i can report that it does not um so uh, yeah i just i find myself I've got a text file on my computer that called download at the office for things like YouTube videos and other, and other high, uh, high bandwidth issues. So
2: at least you do have somewhere you can go to, uh, take care of those things that are a little bit less
1: obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a a very decent, uh, DSL connection here at the office. So
0: every time someone on this podcast says, uh, it says to, uh, like, As part of a a sentence, I always think of Tua, which is weird. (laughs) He writes. Right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, well, this has been the Ask Different podcast. You can find TJ's articles on Tua.com and his own website is luo.ma, that's L-U-O dot M-A. TJ, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here.
0: And, of course... Uh, be sure to participate in the the contest. is going to be going on starting. I guess it's it's tomorrow, based on the day that we're recording. But when this comes out today, so go go participate. Uh, just remember, ask questions, include the iOS tag, and whichever question gets the most votes will get a prize, and whichever question gets the most um, views will also get a prize, and uh, we'll also have prizes as well for for two uh, listeners. So. That'll be that'll be fantastic, and so you can find our show in most podcast apps by searching for Ask Different podcast. Our direct RSS link and show notes for this and all our episodes are at apple.blogoverflow.com. You can reach us anywhere on Ask Different or at podcast at askdifferent.net. Thanks for listening.